Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is arguably the most famous punk named Ian from the greater Washington, D.C. area, someone who has taught university classes on film and social media, a man who's way more swole than me, and a fellow who demands a recount in that recent Google survey that declared Prince William was the world's sexiest bald man. He is here today to chat with someone other than the murderous personality that lives in his head in order to argue that people unfairly dismissed the 2007 Kevin Costner psychological serial killer thriller, Mr. Brooks. Everyone is wrong, but Ian Reagans isn't. Thanks for coming on, Ian. Thank you for having me, Seth. Yes, it is good to see you. It's been a while. I knew you back when we were both in Syracuse. Yeah. While you're... Ten years ago? Yeah, it's, it's a long time ago. More than ten years ago, I guess. Is it? It was 2000... Yeah. No, yeah, I guess it was 2011. 2010, 2011. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's fun yeah. to think about. Um, how are you yep. doing today? <laughs> good, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I am fresh off watching basketball, and you are fresh off watching some of the Snyder Cut. About three quarters of it. Yeah, the marathon Got a little bit is. left to go. Yeah, that's a, yeah. just a movie that everyone is watching and some people like. <laughs> but we are not here today to talk about the Snyder Cut. We are here to talk about Mr. Brooks, which is a movie that you love and a movie that is kind of, I don't even know if it's necessarily, you know, hated as much as it's people didn't really like it and then it kind of just faded from the ether. It's less of yeah, like... Yeah, kind of, kind of forgotten or or released and then yeah vanished in a way yeah i mean it, it's weird looking back on it that it was a summer movie but i guess we will get to that yeah so let's get a little bit into the background of mr brooks as i said mr brooks is a largely forgotten psychological thriller that was released in june 2007 the movie was directed and co-written by bruce a evans best known for his stand by me screenplay his only other directorial work before or since was the 1992 Christian Slater vehicle Cuffs, which he which al- I also love, by the way, and is also not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. And he co-wrote <laughs> Cuffs and Mr. Brooks and Stand By Me with his writing partner, Reynold Gideon. Mr. Brooks stars Kevin Costner as the titular Earl Brooks, a rich and successful owner of a business that makes boxes which is an unusual profession. He has a loving wife, Emma, played by Marg Helgenberger, who you might know from CSI, and a collegiate daughter, Jane, played by Danielle Panabaker. Oh, and also he's a cold-blooded serial killer who's egged on by his inner id in human form or voice in his head. However, you, it's not totally clear. Most people refer to it as his id, but it manifests as Marshall, who's a twisted individual played by William Hurt. Uh, Mr. Brooks is known as the thumbprint killer, though they haven't caught him, uh, because when he serial kills, he leaves uh, bloody thumbprints from his victims at the scene of the crime, which is kind of a weird detail that they never totally explain but, uh, why he does that, but I guess he just wants to be known. And after taking away some time from murdering, he strikes again, murdering a young couple who are having sex while their blinds are not closed in their house. And a peeper 
watching from the apartment building across the street, photographs Mr. Brooks in the act. This creep, primarily known throughout the movie as Mr. Smith, is played by Dane Cook, and he blackmails Mr. Brooks with the photos. But instead of wanting a payout, the thing that he wants is to be like his ride-along buddy and watch as Mr. Brooks kills his next victim. So basically, Mr. Brooks has to figure out how to keep Mr. Smith from spilling his secret, avoid getting caught by Demi Moore, who plays a super millionaire detective. Uh, She is rich and a detective, and it's a little unusual. And he also must deal with his daughter coming home from college, dropping out under, we will say at this point, unusual circumstances. The film didn't really create waves at the box office. It finished fourth in its opening weekend behind Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, Knocked Up, and Shrek the Third. It ended up grossing around $48 million on a $20 million budget, so it was a moderate success in that sense. But it also totally doesn't feel like a summer movie. It feels kind of out of position when you see, like, those are the movies that it was around. Critics weren't exactly crazy over this film. A lot of it's it's a lot of mixed reviews. It stands at 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, 45% on Metacritic. In the timeout review, in one timeout review, timeout's a weird publication because they gather from all their different timeouts and sometimes they don't credit who wrote this. So in timeout's review, they wrote, remove the acidic tone and droll metaphorical layering of American Psycho and you'll end up with something like the infuriatingly mediocre Mr. Brooks. Another timeout review, again, they're weird, states, most suspense flicks necessitate a slight suspension of disbelief to work. This movie requires jettisoning both logic and part of your frontal lobe to be even semi-functional. David Anson of Newsweek stated, the basic premise has real potential. Think what Claude Charbol could do with this. But Evans and Gideon aren't seriously interested in the psychology of their characters. They're so worried about holding our attention that they overload the tale with bombshells, byways, and bogus suspense. The movie becomes a crazy quilt of competing stories, none of them properly developed. You could cut half of the major characters out of Mr. Brooks and never miss them. And one last slam review. Tim Robbie of the Daily Telegraph wrote, There's enough ambition for a miniseries here, and satellite viewers already have a rather terrific option. He didn't say option, but uh, in Dexter. Uh, stuffed into two hours, it's a bit of a pileup. And I guess that's one of the things we'll discuss later. But a lot of even the negative reviews are like, this is a good idea. And it just doesn't work or there's too many things happening the positive reviews are like this almost works and the negative reviews are like this could have worked there's not a lot of like this is an absolute trash heap and in mr brooks defense audiences that actually saw this movie which are not a ton uh, actually really kind of like this movie it's a 76 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes And it did get some good reviews. Most of them, even the good reviews are like three out of fives or three out of fours. Uh, Anthony Quinn of The Independent gave it a three out of five star review, noting Costner's double act with Hurt is a wicked pleasure, like the odd couple with a psychopathic twist. But I think this one actually kind of sums it up. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone gave 
it a three out of four star review, but this is how he opened his positive review of Mr. Brooks. Quote, listen to me, trash can surprise you. So don't get elitist about the so-called cheap thrills of Mr. Brooks. So even, even the positives are like, hey, this is trash. <laughs> but I liked it. So I think that kind of establishes just the general view of Mr. Brooks. So Ian, why is everyone wrong about Mr. Brooks? Well, even before I, I get into the points, I just want to say yeah. really quick that the, all those reviews make so much sense because this movie is like trash in a way that is extremely entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the fascinating thing, and, and we can talk about this later, but is that there there are so many cool elements and, and it is like, to me, the first time I saw it, I saw it when I worked in a movie theater, um, actually. So I saw it at that theater and I was like, this this movie is 50% good and 50% not good. Like, and, and not in a, not in a, a blended way. <laughs> like right. 50% but, of the elements are good and 50% aren't. But, but the point is that the 50% that you are good to you, push it over the top and make it actually good. And it's just yeah, like, there's, actually, but there's lots of things that you're like, well, that's kind of weird, but like, I'll forgive it because I like this performance over here or, Exactly. And, and actually, the more recent time I watched it, I would say I would lean 75 25. Okay. I yeah. And I didn't know if it would hold up after I had agreed to do this. I was like, well, I better rewatch this movie. We could have bailed <laughs> at any moment, but yeah. <laughs> but I did feel the same way. So, to start my points of defense about this movie, William Hurt is incredible in this movie. Mm-hmm. And this was, a, this was a period where either the year before or the year after i actually i have i have this information this came out amidst like kind of william hurt's second act supporting man resurgence yeah. uh it yeah, came out in 2007 violence. and in 2006 he got a best supporting actor nomination for a history of violence and right. then right after that in 2009 he got a best supporting emmy nomination for the show damages so it was kind of it's sandwiched in between like a bunch of like good supporting work from Hurt after he kind of like had faded from his apex that he had earlier in his career. Right. And I think, so I had seen a history of violence the year before. And to me, his performance in this movie is very similar to that movie. Mm -hmm. And actually I, even though they're very different movies, I kind of confuse them like certain elements of them. Like a history of violence is based on a graphic novel, I think. And so up until I recently rewatched Mr. Brooks, I was like, oh, Mr. Brooks is based on a graphic novel. And then I realized that it wasn't. But they're they're kind of similar in terms of, you know, that this person um, who has this past who's sort of thrust back, this like violent past is kind of thrust back into it. And William Hurt plays a major role. But he's so he's having so much fun in right. Mr. Brooks. And there's when you're talking about the reviews, there's one other review. I can't remember where it was from. I should have looked it up before, but that I read when it came out that said there was a line that was like, I wish we were watching whatever movie William Hurt thinks he's in because he's right. just, he's like, he clearly understands that it's just like trash. It's pulp. It's, it's really fun. He, and he, yeah, really he's, kind of he's eating it up in kind of like a lip licking way where he's just like, Oh yes. I'm like, diving into this and I can be like flippant and weird and just uh, go for it 
in a way that yeah. uh, some of the other characters in the movie might not totally be doing. Yeah, I think other some other characters take, you know, seem to take the role a lot more seriously. Like Demi Moore, for example, there's like no hint of sort of like understanding of the type of movie that it is yeah you know? like Demi Moore kind of plays the role like it's it's like a like a you know mid to late 90s like thriller like the bone collector or something like yeah that, I mean that, that that was one of the things that a bunch of reviews mentioned also that it's like it's Kevin Costner and Demi Moore in 2007 in this and they're like what is this a 90s movie and like not even just yeah. that it was them too but it just at points it kind of has that some of them have that feel. I mean, I, Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like Demi Moore, I read something as I was doing this, that originally they were going to, the idea from uh, Evans was to cast someone younger in that role and kind of have it almost like Mr. Brooks in having like a Lecter Clarice dynamic where one was kind of like, she was the young other daughter that was uh, the parallel daughter to Mr. Brooks' actual daughter. And it was kind of mm-hmm. not a mentorship, but like the cat and mouse in that kind of way. But I think they're like, oh, we can get Demi Moore when Demi Moore's doing well. So let's cast that. But she she's probably the character that works the least for me. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as you mentioned, her, her character makes very little sense in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. But, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, but but yeah, and it is weird. You know, it's like and, and I was thinking about this and I, I couldn't decide because I was talking to my wife about this a lot as we were watching it. And it's like it doesn't make any sense. 2007, the summer movie that they were hoping we can talk more about this later, too, but they're hoping would be the start of like a trilogy. I'm very excited um, to talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. And, and casting, yeah, Kevin Costner, Demi Moore and William Hurt as, you know, the, the three leads kind of, and nothing says sexy summer, like William Hurt and (laughs) Kevin Costner in a non sports movie. Right. And for, for something that, that would presumably be aimed at like, you know, an audience of like, you know, late teens, early mid twenties or something like that. And so that casting didn't really make sense, but at the same time, William Hurt I feel like the other thing that I was thinking was like the next year Iron Man came out with Robert Downey Jr. who was also like a sort of beyond his prime like 90s almost I, I wouldn't want to say has been but you know he was I mean he, kind of at like, that point he was he was at, he was at least kind of he was closer to being a punchline than a leading man where it's like oh right. yeah like closer to being like John Travolta pre Pulp Fiction than, uh, you know, than Samuel Jackson or something. Right. Yeah. So, so I was thinking, you know, well, they did, and, and you know, he's he's not quite as he's not as old as Kevin Costner is. They're probably not too far apart, but but they did manage to pull that off with him in in Iron Man. So I was thinking, you know, they probably could have pulled that off with the casting in this movie too. They just, I I I don't know. They didn't do whatever they needed to do to make kevin costner at that point be the like the box office draw that he needed to be for whatever they wanted this movie to be for sure but you know without getting too much ahead of myself i feel like if everyone had sort of done with the role what william hurt had done not exactly not necessarily the same thing you know but right but if they had all if they felt like they were all in the same if they had brought the same energy that william hurt brings because like william hurt yeah you can't watch this movie and be like william hurt was 
bad. And you can do that for a lot of other people in this movie. We, we might disagree on that, but like you can, you he's definitely carrying the like spice of the movie. Yeah, especially early on. Oh yeah, um, he, he's like the only thing in the movie that is like a reason to keep watching it, kind mm-hmm. of early on. So, what what's your second defense? So my second defense is actually Kevin Costner. Oh, hey, who... we were just talking about him. <laughs> so rewatching the movie, I was like, man, he is so flat early in this movie, he's and he's very so flat. he's very flat and like awkward and stiff. And I even posted that there's this scene where his where his daughter as we mentioned earlier comes home from college early and says she's dropped out of college and or no she says she's pregnant right there's there's both scenes both scenes exist in this yeah and honestly i can't remember which one it is one she drops some bombshell on him and he does this thing with a glass of orange juice that's like some of the funniest acting i've ever seen like i took a video of it and, and posted it on instagram but he just like like very stiffly like raises and lowers the glass of orange juice like he doesn't know what to do with it and then puts it down it's a very like, like, like rick kind of, like a ricky bobby like i don't know what to do with my hands kind of like exactly moment. yeah and, and it was very funny and and just everything about his character early on it's like yeah he's this like successful businessman who owns a, a box manufacturing um business yeah, i guess plant uh, it's not totally uh, clear yeah um and then and and you know he's like he's kind of he's kind of dry and and they really play him off of like william hurt early on like the the contrast is really strong but the thing then the performance actually gets a lot more interesting Mm -hmm. and as he sort of falls back into his murderous ways that he's previously given up and he um starts listening to his alter ego more he starts to act more like william hurt and in fact, one of the things that I thought was really interesting rewatching it is my favorite part in the movie, ever since I first watched this movie in 2007, my my favorite part was a line that I had thought was delivered by William Hurt. And then rewatching it, I realized it was actually delivered by Kevin Costner, oh, really? which is seeing there are, as we discussed, Dane Cook is this Mr. Smith who is, is blackmailing him to, to write along in his serial killing and there's a, a scene where they're sitting in the car waiting for him and William Hurt says, oh, maybe he'll cross the street and uh, he'll get hit by a car and kill him and that'll do the job for us. And it's raining and then uh, Dane Cook steps out in the street and this car almost hits almost him. Almost hits him, yeah. And, yeah. and they both laugh and then Kevin Costner says, almost. And like just that delivery of that line is so funny. And so for years I've been thinking it was William Hurt who said that. Yeah, and so I that just goes to show that like his performance st- is like perhaps purposefully stiff early on, or or maybe like should have, maybe was supposed to be purposefully stiff, but didn't quite come off. Like it just seemed like it was actually stiff, and then he kind of loosens up and seems to have more fun with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Costner performance doesn't work for me. I I could see what mm. you say at it, but it's just like it's just a little. His emotions are just a little too flat throughout and there's just some like weird like that orange juice scene and he just brings up like well i i don't know exactly but it's like well are you gonna have an abortion and it's just like whoa it was just like very quick and then they like kind of move on from it quick and it's yeah i think he actually said you're not having an abortion oh yeah i think i think that's right yeah he's like well you're not and he's also a killer yeah like he's he's 
like no one brought up anything about like an abortion and his his reaction is she's just like i'm pregnant his daughter he's just like you're not having an abortion yeah there's very yeah and there's nothing really to like it's not like oh he's also like a hugely religious man like he has there's some like notes to that he might be but it's just like not it's not established so it just kind of comes out of left field with the like bluntness of it there's also the scene oh i should say uh if i think we could we're we're going to say things that uh just give away the plot so if you uh haven't seen it now just pause and go watch it if you feel like it but also you don't have to there's the scene when it's like he realizes that his daughter is like a killer and he just like crumples up on the floor and like squinches his face and it's just like i don't know it was just like a very strange it did not feel totally human to me <laughs> yeah reaction someone who's like someone who's supposed to be like a psychopath right like the weird melodramatic response to like yeah. understanding that his his genetics had been passed on to his daughter yeah i know it's it's kind of you know what yeah. it kind of rem- the costner performance kind of reminds me a little bit of like in a way the this is gonna sound weird but toby Maguire in the first spider-man series where it's oh, like yeah. there's a stiffness to it and in like the spider-man it's like oh well peter parker's a nerdy awkward guy and he is weird and not social so it's like oh well that works for toby Maguire. But Spider-Man is also, like, a quick, quipping, fun-like guy. And, like, Tobey Maguire does not do that. And in the same way, Kevin Costner, like, it's good to have him stiff sometimes. But it's just, like, his, like, flair for even when he's enjoying, like, the killings and enjoying things. It doesn't, like, totally track as, like, super believable that, like, oh, that's... Like in like when he kills like the first couple, he like kind of does this like hand dance for a second where it's like, oh, he's getting like ecstasy from it. But you're like, is it, I don't know, maybe it's just the inherent Kevin Costner of it that it doesn't feel like, oh, he's reveling in this. It's just like act like you're reveling in this. And maybe Kevin Costner is not a reveling person. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, he he's like, generally speaking, this kind of like good guy all-american kind of like flat heroic actor you know and and this movie is like clearly trying to play off of that in a way but perhaps in a way that is like a little bit awkward in terms of the the juxtaposition yeah and also again not something that i think you know younger audiences necessarily would have understood in 2007 that that was what they were trying to do but yeah, I, I enjoy the, the the later portion of his performance with despite its like complete separation from the earlier part. Right. It seems like. I mean, I, I yeah, I certainly agree. He gets better as the movie goes along yeah, and gets more comfortable in, in the role. But yeah, I was also thinking like of the time I was like, who else could have like played this role and like done it? That's and exactly I, what we were doing. So, you know what? the You know, the name that I settled on? That I thought like, oh, he could be droll enough, but he would also like, but the problem is he might actually work in the William Hurt role too. But I was thinking if someone like Alan Rickman was in this, where you could just do like the droll, like, you know, kind of like the love actually style, like, or, you know, emotionless Snape or whatever. But then like, he has more energy to like, uh, kind of emote and revel in the killing when the killing's happening or 
you know, messing around with Dane Cook and stuff like that and prodding him and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's very it makes sense. You know, Costner at the time still big movie star. It in theory makes sense. It's just it, we just differ on how much the the commitment works throughout, and I can kind of see it both ways. Well, it's funny because we also spent like almost the entire movie when we were rewatching it, like recasting it in our minds. Yeah, <laughs> because like for and we came up with all sorts of things. We didn't think of Alan Rickman, but that's a great idea. We thought of even like Hugh Jackman in in the main role. I mean, he's yeah. younger, but like I think he would have he would have been old enough to to would have been be old enough to do daughter. it. Yeah, yeah. And I think like sort of having that comic book um, movie background, I feel like he you know would have sort of been able to really go with it and also have that kind of like he's not American, but that kind of like all American sort of like right vibe to him that could then be like played in a sinister way yeah also it doesn't even it would be fine it, he doesn't need to be american there's nothing like inherently like he <laughs> right. needs to be right. like you know that's the same thing with alan rickman it's not like this guy couldn't be like a box factory guy you wouldn't even need to do an american accent if he didn't want to because it's just like right he's just a guy but uh but yeah it, it was but we kept doing that with everyone i mean you know, and someone else could have played William Hurt also, but I just think he was like so no William Hurt's. Well, yeah, I wasn't recasting him as much because just like ah no, he's he's got this enough. He's he's yeah, he's got it. So I guess then I think your third point kind of overlaps your first two points. If I'm yeah, following. I guess it's not really so much a separate third point, but I think it is. I do really like I I love so my third point is just the dynamic between Kevin Costner and William Hurt, mm-hmm. both in terms of the way they play off each other in terms of dialogue and, and stuff and, and sort of the, like that, like id versus ego, whatever sort of like tension yeah. that they have going on. But I also really enjoy the way that, that, that relationship works formally in the mm-hmm. movie, because I think it would have worked a lot less. So basically for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, he's talking to William Hurt throughout the movie including in scenes where there are other people in the room right so they don't play it as like a thing where he's talking out loud to an imaginary friend it's it's like their interactions are happening in his head even though they seem to be happening in real time within the scene yeah it's in the way that evans kind of directs it it's interesting because it's it's, so it's basically almost they something will happen like a secretary will walk into the room and give him a give mr brooks a piece of information and then there'll be a conversation between Brooks and Marshall, his id, or between Hurd and Costner. And it can go back and forth for like a minute or something. But then it's not as if he was just, they treat it as if it was kind of happening instantaneously, like time sort of stopped and he just picks up, can pick up the conversation with the other person that's actually there as if there was no pause. The same happens with his, like his wife in the car and things like that. So he's often, it, it's pre- presented in a way that like you get it pretty easily and then you follow it. And it's, it's, it's very well presented. I think it it's one of the best, most interesting director choices. Yeah. And, and it's not the way that that sort of relationship is normally shown like like usually you know it's a, a horrible thing where someone like zones out and stares into space and someone will like say their name three times getting right. progressively louder and then like snap them out of it 
or they'll be like, who are you talking to or something like that? you know? Yeah. Um, so I think this is just a really cool choice. And you know, the, the one reviewer who talked about like, like jettisoning your, your disbelief. I actually think this is part of the movie that, like you said, it's not really explained. It, it just is sort of introduced that way. And you just kind of accept that it works that way. Yeah. Sort of like I, don't, I don't think there's any diegetic time. Yeah, it's presented well enough, like, right, because, like, it, one of the very first scenes, it happens in the car with Mr. Brooks and his wife, and you kind of get it immediately because she's not reacting the, the way that uh, they present it. She's not reacting at all as if he was zoning out for a second or it's just the conversation keeps picking up. And, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's well done. And then I think, you know, as you were saying, you like both the performances, but I think Costner's probably at his best when he's interacting with Hurt. Oh, absolutely. He definitely brings, I feel like he gives some of that energy to Costner during those moments. And I think it's just, you know, there are lots of serial killer movies and, and stuff like that where someone's stalking someone else. But I think this dynamic of like having this person egging you on sort of while you're like waiting and, and this person like, feeding your like worst impulses and stuff like that is just a it's really interesting to watch these conversations play out as they're like stalking someone or like figuring out what to do about mr smith who's sort of invading who's invaded their life in this way or you know talking about his daughter and you know his his potential future serial killer daughter or something like that i was just gonna say I i just feel like it helps to like drive those moments forward instead of you know, in a way that um, just someone like thinking about it, you know, couldn't necessarily do so. Yeah. And also it's interesting because, you know, lots of times it's like the devil on the shoulder kind of thing. uh, Devil angel on the shoulder. They both disagree and agree a lot. Like, it's not like there's Mm -hmm. a static, like he's always, Marshall's always pushing Mr. Brooks and then he eventually snaps. It's like sometimes Mr. Brooks is ahead of where Marshall was thinking and like in a more twisted way that he was thinking of originally. And other times, you know, they're like at odds and like are not wanting the same result. And so it, it's, it keeps things uh, not static throughout in that relationship. Yeah. he He's much more than just Marshall's much more than just like, the worst parts of Mr. Brooks or something like that. He's act, he actually kind of comes across as like a different person who, you know, almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like an entirely different. Yeah. He, he does, yeah. It's not like, it's not like here's, it's not like a multi-personality where it's like, here's Costner and here's evil Costner. It's just like, here's Costner and here's this like entirely separate entity that like lives inside of him. And acts different and enunciates different and revels in things differently. And yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool dynamic and and one that, that, I mean, that's the thing that like works, like all the scenes between them are definitely the the best scenes in the movie. So I think it's the thing that like the central thing that despite all the other stuff that we'll talk about it is like the thing that really like, if you enjoy this movie, I think is, is the reason that you do. Mm Mm-hmm. And should should we transition on to quote unquote all the other stuff that we have yeah, to talk let's about? Yeah, talk about all the other stuff. So I think your your next point is just that there's so many interesting elements in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah, and this movie like 
and, and some of the reviews that you mentioned talked about it has like so much going on and so much so going on elements, a lot of which are probably unnecessary but some of which are really interesting that are not fully explored but i think these things are in, these things are interesting enough that to me it makes it like different than other movies like this mm-hmm. like it makes it stand out well, book, well just one. just one thing to start off just to give people a sense if they haven't seen it just of like the weirdness sometimes in this movie literally like the first thing that they're like the movie starts out where they're at a man of the year ceremony where mr brooks is getting award and then they like cut to him and his wife in the car and literally the first line that she delivers is about how like an old woman's nipples were like protruding it's just like whoa weird thing to start on and then there's many other like branches that go off of that thankfully not involving uh old women's nipples yeah i I completely forgot about that and like it that's kind of weird because it sets up like maybe his wife to have like this kind of personality or something like that and she's like very barely in the movie (laughs) barely in super strange but yeah so there are a couple different elements the one thing like kind of big picture thing is that they don't quite go into it but it's like this movie is setting up this sort of underground of serial killers who like work together in a certain way and that's kind of perhaps where the um and the movie just kind of shoehorns it in at the end but that's kind of where i could see that idea of like the Hannibal Lecter like Clarice sort of relationship it's really funny actually looking at the the Wikipedia summary of the movie because it doesn't even mention this at all. But there's this other killer in the movie. Yeah, his name is Meeks. Uh and he's Meeks. I think he's called the hang the hanger killer or the hangman killer or something like that. Yeah. He like hangs people to kill them. And Demi Moore is in addition to going after the thumbprint killer, who she has some history with in terms of having been on a case with him before. The thumbprint killer being Mr. Brooks. She's also going after Meeks, the hangman, who's this other serial killer, like a Be- more cartoony. Yeah, because oh, sorry, he just ahead. because he just broke out of prison is the thing. And then and that's then right. He's... She put him in prison and he got out. Right. And now he wants to like hunt her down, which right. doesn't yeah. have anything to do with Mr. Brooks. <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> but he wants to hunt her down and something leads them to this other serial killer who he seems to have been friends with and like had some sort of working relationship with who, when they get to this other serial killer's apartment, it turns out Meeks has killed him and hung him because I think somehow that guy got him put away or something. It's a little bit unclear. Yeah. It, and <laughs> but, yeah, there's a whole sequence that very much is reminiscent. That That sequence is very reminiscent of like, it looks like the house at the end of the silence of the lambs. And it's kind of like, Oh, we're like dodging through this creaky old house and these doors. And uh, I mean, there's lots of weird, like kind of directing choices in this movie, but like that looks like silence of the lambs. A lot of the slow-mo stuff, they have like slow-mo action scenes, which kind of feel like out of a born movie. They have yeah, the, the, the whole, the whole golden glow there. There's like a golden lighting glow th- of this movie which feels very of the era 2007 to like talented mr ripley kind of like feel to it there's lots of like picking and nipping at other things but uh yeah so anyway there's this whole serial killer network maybe 
Yeah, and, and then Meeks has this um like woman who is his like serial killer sidekick kind yeah. of. And the body so, to his Clyde. Yeah. And, and so again, something that's not fully explored in any way, but it almost felt like kind of a proto John Wick kind of like underground network of serial killers as opposed to assassins who right. were gonna be and, and you know, again, it's just like kind of around the edges, but it's this sort of cool idea that that could potentially be you know especially if they had gone in a direction of like that Clarice uh Hannibal Lecter relationship and here's the thing like kind of skipping to the end of the movie the whole hangman thing has nothing whatsoever to do with Mr. Brooks it's like completely separate from Mr. Brooks until the very end of the movie when it is revealed when he like this is the most confusingly edited part in the entire film he like leaves a Mr. Brooks. Well, you don't know this at the time. You right. Don't know this later, you you think it, you th- more... you know what, what happens is you think Dane Cook moved all his stuff out of his apartment to like right. av- avoid the cops because they were starting to like ask him questions and stuff. And then there's a receipt in one of the rooms which leads Demi Moore after she like basically threatens to kill her like cop partner, <laughs> leads her to yeah. this uh, dumpy apartment which turns out to be where Meeks and his girl are. So it's like leading her yeah. into the mousetrap, but Meeks doesn't know about this. Yeah, so it's like weirdly connecting the Dane Cook plot to the Meeks plot. But then, yeah, so there's this this receipt, and it turns out at the very end of the movie, because Mr. Brooks calls Demi Moore, Kevin Costner calls Demi Moore, and says that he left the slip for her to go find this other killer. Despite the fact that I don't even think at any point in the movie Kevin Costner acknowledges this other killer <laughs> until, but well, he, no, he, he knows, he, 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 knows he knows because he sees him in the car when when uh, Mr. Smith is uh, and Kevin Costner are out like snooping for like people to like murder because basically his process is you just drive around and find a stranger and fixate on them because you can't kill anybody you know. And he, he's they fixate on this guy who cuts them off in traffic and are following him for a couple nights. And then in one of the parking lots where they're waiting for him to get off his job, Kevin Costner sees the serial killer in like his other car and is like, oh, oh yeah. I know who that is. And that's kind of how he and then I think like it seems like he's going to like kill them for a while. Like, oh, I'm going to like yeah. kill the other serial killer. And then it gets off and then eventually that serial killer when Demi Moore goes there they get in a shootout in a hallway where they are missing point blank over and over and over again <laughs> with no cover with no <laughs> cover they're just in a hallway <laughs> and hallway. it's three people it's Demi Moore and Meeks and his girl shooting like mm, 15 feet apart and like there's one bullet that hits in the entire thing but eventually uh, they both Meeks kills both his girlfriend and uh, himself once they're like cornered, basically. Yeah, but again, I it's so, a, it's so weird because, like, in theory, that's a cool thing, but then I mean, I'm gonna detour off into the thing that I think Evans and his writing partner thought was interesting and is not at all, which is the whole Demi Moore character, and yeah. Though I think the whole that whole separate serial killer storyline was just to like make her seem sympathetic and like you're cheering for her because she's 
a multi-millionaire detective it's established and she just like her dad was rich and gave her like tons of money and she's in an expensive divorce that also like it seems like she's worth like I don't remember. It was like $60 million or something. And she's like, I yeah, won't a lot of time in the movie dedicated to her divorce. And right. The financials. Of the divorce. Right. And it's also weird. Cause it's like, well, the, it loops in where they, she can't work this case because for a while she can't work the thumbprint killer case because the, her ex's lawyer is threatening to like, sue to get where she was at all times and that like they would be able to get that for a detective and that she and she also like won't sell out of court for like two million dollars when she's worth like 60 and she's like it's driving me insane just like give the money and like go away i don't it's very weird her whole yeah it's never established i think she's supposed to be like kind of a badass clarice character but she never gets her footing yeah and, and in the end at the very end mr brooks for some reason decides to ask her why she became a detective even though he'd never had expressed any like real interest in that before but he asked her over phone call and, he's, and she's like i wanted to prove myself <laughs> like you, yeah it was like it was like my dad <laughs> it was like it was like the my dad always wanted a boy and i had to prove that i was like boy like essentially she doesn't say it like that but that's essentially her point is like i had to be badass and it's just like it's weird it's weird if you if you're if you are a millionaire detective out there uh you know i guess i mean batman's technically a millionaire detective that's true but uh batman also isn't like on like a bad beat uh yeah yeah so well so that brings me to another element of the movie that is really interesting that probably should have taken up all of the screen time that demi moore's character did which is his daughter yes um, <laughs> this is and, actually an interesting point <laughs> yeah so so it's early on in the movie um hit kevin costner's daughter drops out of college i think she's in her like first year she seems pretty young she's like a freshman yeah. sophomore yeah, and it turns out that there was a murder at her, or a death, I guess, at her uh, school, um, at her college. I think, and then I think it was Stanford. She... They don't say at first, but then they say Palo Alto at one point. So I think oh, yeah. somebody died at Palo Alto. Because, and Mr. Bruce yeah, is like, yeah. I worked hard to get you into a good school like that. It's like they couldn't say Stanford for some <laughs> reason. Yeah. But, uh, and so there's a death at her school. She drops out. She says that she's pregnant. And they eventually, Mr. Brooks becomes concerned. And Marshall uh, is concerned actually first. Like his alter oh, ego right. is like, there is something wrong that she is not telling you. And he's like, yeah, yeah I kind of feel that. And then like it, more things reveal. And he's like, there's still something more. And there's still something more. It's so like Marshall yeah, has a better like. More- Six cents of it, then. Yeah, and at first, the something more is her saying that she's pregnant, right? And and he does this ridiculous like set of like costumes from the Americans, where he he goes to, uh, he goes to Stanford, presumably. And well, wears, well, no, like, the, three different costumes. F- first off, first off, I'll, I'll, before that happens, the saying. the police come. 
the police oh, come right. and are, they're like, hey, we need to like interview your daughter because somebody died. And they're like, weird. And, and Mr. Brooks is in with the interview and kind of like hearing everything and just like staring off into the window. And it's clear he's like, oh, no, I know this is this is what happened. And it turns out like it was a very sloppy Whatever it was was a very sloppy killing. Like the murder weapon was still there, and it was a hatchet. And it was like uh, a first time killing, right? Sort of like not knowing the ropes yet. And I don't know if we've said this, but Mr. Brooks is like a very perfectionist, like killer. Like he hacks into like police things, and he follows people for like months and months and months, and like makes sure that there's like no loose ends. And that's the Dane Cook shooting him was like the one loose end that he forgot. Though it was like he wraps his gun in like a vacuum bag, so there's no bullet tracing. Though weirdly, his hair he does nothing to like cover his hair or like a hairnet so that there's not maybe hair DNA. But uh, other than that, he's like a perfectionist. Uh, so then she kills in this very sloppy way, and he, he's Marshall eventually kind of confronts him about it, it where he's like, yeah. You know, it's her, right? She just is like killing. Yeah, and and then and Marshall. So yeah, he wears a bunch of disguises. <laughs> Kevin Costner does that. Like it's never quite explained why he wear. I mean, I guess he doesn't want anyone to know who he is, but he does wear like three different disguises on on the way to Stanford to like investigate the situation. Right, and he's he doesn't. And also, he doesn't wear disguises when he goes and kills. Right, and only when he's going to investigate. Only when he's going like out of town, like. He lives in Portland, not the biggest place, and he's fine just, like, going around killing lots of people as himself. But, like, if I go to another city where no one would expect me to be, I need to wear, like, a bunch of costumes. Yeah, and no one would recognize me. <laughs> Everyone's like, that's the box millionaire. <laughs> like, <laughs> Those famed, fortunate the boxes. Bezos of boxes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... So it's eventually revealed that his daughter did kill this other person at school. She's not really pregnant. Um, they don't even really and... say that, though. That's the weird thing. They don't. That's true. No, because I think they don't. They don't. I think she is supposed to be pregnant. But the weird thing is they never like totally establish that she is actually pregnant because she's not showing her anything. And she says she's pregnant. And she's like, and I'm sick. Really and she's like saying I'm like sick a lot. But then. In the like climactic scene, remember, because uh, which we will get to, he's like, "Well, I thought about doing this, but I my daughter is going to be having a baby, so like, oh, right. Mr. Brooks is like a big like wants to be a grandparent is like a big part of his personality throughout this." Yeah, that's why there that's why there will be no, no there will be no abortion, <laughs> but yeah, so so he basically just ends up going and killing somebody else to like cover because it's just like. Well, you were home, so this is now a serial. He basically just killed somebody in the exact manner that she did, so that it would be yeah, like, oh, this is a serial killer, and you're off yeah. the hook now. And she's also like weirdly like, I mean, again, she's supposed to be like a killer, but she's like weird about getting the news. She's like, oh, like okay, <laughs> like yeah. she's a, like I'm off the hook for this, and like doesn't know totally how to react when he tells yeah. her. Cause she, yeah. cause it's like, she knows that she did it and she's like, I don't, and she doesn't know that he, he's a killer. That should be, right. this is a killing family, but she is not aware, but he is convinced it's like genetic. That's also a point. 
Yeah. And Marshall is convinced that she's going to try to kill him at some point. Right. Marshall Uh, becomes paranoid of the daughter. Yeah. And uh, he does have a, um, well, he does have at one point a dream. Near the end of the movie. This is is one of the more, so this will go into another thing, but there's almost like a false finish to this movie where it looks like, you know, he get Mr. Brooks gets done with the killing that we will talk about shortly that like needs to be done. And then he's like, everything's wrapped. My hands are clean. I'm going to go and like kiss my daughter. Good night. And, uh, she stabs him in the jugular with a pair of scissors and he's bleeding around and he's, it's graphic and he's just like falling and she's loving it. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this is such a bold choice to finish this movie out. And then it turned out to only be a dream. And I kind of wish now we'll discuss this a bit. They thought this was going to be a series of movies. I think we kind of said that, but if they had just made the choice to end it like that, because also it would be such a sloppy killing for her. She would be caught 1000%. Yeah, she murdered him with scissors in her bedroom. In her bedroom. And he's just like pouring blood over the wall. He's like falling on the walls and like falling all over her bed. And she's just like sitting there like wide eyed and like happy. <laughs> yeah. But. So, so, but despite the amount that we've talked about this. This takes up maybe 15 minutes of screen time in the movie. <laughs> right. Like that that's the thing. It this is the probably the most inter- on, honestly maybe even more interesting than you can make a case that it's more interesting than the dynamic between Marshall and Mr. Brooks that it's just like, "Oh, this is going to be a family of serial killers or like yeah. this is a passed on more, trait." At least more potentially interesting. Right. It it's it's something that like you I haven't seen in other things. Yeah. You know, like I've I've seen voices like, you know, not in not done quite as good as this, but I've seen voices like pushing somebody to murder and back and forth and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't seen like, oh, the realization and also the fact the the way they divide it up where it's just like he realizes this, she is in the dark, but she is like twisted and like and the whole like Marshall bringing up that like, oh, she's gonna get you sooner or later like because partially because she came back and was like can i have a job daddy and he's like no and marshall's like she could just like kill you and like take your money yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah but yeah they 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 just it's so brief that they like again there's so much more time spent with like demi moore and meeks and here's this like whole like serial killer family idea happening and they're just like yeah we'll sprinkle like a like a shot of this like an emerald like bam of this in but we're not going to let it be one of the main seasonings and it's just like why yeah and i guess if they were planning on because if you read the the potential like plot ideas for the future movies um like they thought that the uh second one was going to be um like a taken yeah that, movie, that, that's what which I, actually I sounds that. awesome yeah they, so there was an interview with uh bloody disgusting i'll give them the credit where they talk yeah. to evans of, and it's like a series they do where it's like sequels and things that didn't happen and they interviewed evans and like his plan was essentially yeah the 
Second movie would be a, essentially a Taken where it's uh, Evan said someone would kidnap his family having no idea what they were dealing with. And so it'd be like interesting because it's Taken where he has the particular set of skills, but also the daughter is captured and she could go crazy at any time. Exactly, like um, not knowing that you've kidnapped the daughter of a serial killer, but also that that daughter is a serial killer. Right. So so this was like, in I should backtrack for a second. Evans originally, Evans and Costner was on board that this was originally going to be a trilogy if the film had been a hit. And it just wasn't, it came and went and it kind of was like, yeah, well, and then it got mixed reviews and more negative than positive. And they're like, well, I guess we're not, doing this whole like franchise and that that was also one of the things of like brought up one of the reviewers was talking about how like there's a mini series worth of ideas here and i feel like if this happened if you made mr brooks now it would be like a netflix show or you know or amc or something like that where it's just like oh there's so many of these plots that like you know if the demi moore thing had been stretched over nine episodes it wouldn't have felt like why are we spending so much time with this right it would have been like oh we're getting this dabbling and it's like oh there's this kind of like interesting thing happening over here and meanwhile you could be like having a bunch of scenes with the daughter or having scenes with the daughter by herself because you're kind of you're you know you're with mr brooks almost the whole movie in this and you're never you know with just like the daughter and one of her friends or the only people the daughter interacts with are like the police, her mom and her dad. Right. So you don't, you don't get to see her in action. You don't get to see anything. It's just, there's so much. Yeah. That if it was mined out today or stretched out, or if, you know, it's something where it was committed to three movies beforehand, you know, like the divergent or something where it's just like, we're making three of these, even if they're like, no matter what, not the hunger games or whatever, even if they're not massive hits, they will be good enough. And also yeah, just that modern day with like the, you know, crime junkie serial killer podcast. I feel like this would do better even as a movie now than it did back in 2007. Oh, definitely. And, and the, that's what's the weird thing about this movie is like, I feel like one of the big reasons I enjoy it is because of the potential as opposed to what is actually there. Like, I feel like the things that are there that I like are actually good. and then watching there's like it, a hope. I just kind of yeah i kind of imagine all these things that it could have been and, and yeah. or like the movie itself but then also that like a potential trilogy could have been and right. it is like you know these interesting ideas that are it's, a, it's like actually another movie that came out that summer that had too many ideas that were all interesting that were able to fit in one movie was spider-man 3 speaking of toby Maguire and spider-man it was a similar like you know, it's like, oh, there's this cool, there's this, like Venom and the Sandman and all this stuff. And like, there's just like too much going on to be like a single movie, like a, like a, you know, they just wanted to put everything in it. Um, right. But yeah, that like all that potential, I'm just like, oh man. And, you know, talking about like potential casting and like even the daughter, you know, like I'm like apologies to, to that actress, um, but I don't really know who she is. And like, you know she wasn't really I I feel like even that casting perhaps shows that they were not like like looking at it now so she was in like the Friday the 13th remake with uh, with um uh Jared Padalecki from Supernatural 
right. so she's in like you know just like a bunch of kind of like b movies i guess she's also part of the Arrowverse, like cw shows right but it, um, it wasn't but like she, some she was hot like a... young actress who you're like we're casting her for three movies but i mean i guess they thought they thought she was but she hasn't followed up with that yeah um but but yeah that that's just you know this big piece of the movie that it's like this seems like this is what the movie should have been about and um and i mean it just ended up not being yeah evans and you know going back to the trilogy idea evans talked about like how that was so like the second movie was kind of going to be taken and then the third movie would eventually be like the conflict of Mr. Brooks versus his daughter and how that resolves. Cause it's just like, yeah. is he going to take her out? Is she going to take her out? Is he going to take both of them out? Cause he is like at the end of this movie, he's like suicidal for a part where he's like, I'm going to trick Mr. Smith into killing me because I'm broken and an addict to uh killing. If this had played out, the third film would have been really interesting in that aspect. Cause it would have pitted this thing that should have taken up more of this movie as like the movie. And yeah. I'd be interested in seeing that movie. Oh, and uh, another point about the trilogy, he also mentioned that at some point, Mr. Brooks would have quote unquote killed Marshall. And then Marshall oh, yeah. would have like resurrected as like more twisted and angrier and more perverse. And that would have been fun to just be like, okay, William Hurt, you are really like digging your teeth into this. Now go like psychotic mode. Like, yeah go like Al Pacino hoo-ha yeah. mode. Yeah. God, I, I really wish I could watch these like imaginary movies. That right. Are never going to happen. It's like fan uh, fiction, but I, like of it, something it, that nobody cares about <laughs> except for you. Exactly. You. That, yeah. Except for me. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and again, that, weirdly why I like the movie is just thinking about like what it could have been like based on the kernels of, of what are good in it. Right. Um, so I think that probably, unless you have any more interesting pools you want to dive down on that. Um, no. I, okay. I mean, I, I I guess the one interesting thing would be to talk about Dane Cook. Just That's yes. The fifth the fifth uh, the fifth point about why this movie is good is I'll leave it up to so you. So Dane so Dane Cook gets uh, brutally murdered. Dane Cook gets movie. murdered is the fifth is the fifth defense of <laughs> this movie. Like, that's the point. Um, well, so this was also that weird period where they were like trying to make Dane Cook like more of a, a movie star. Yeah, I, I've and... got a little bit on that. That this came out in like the time when Dane Cook was the biggest stand-up comedian in the world. In yeah. uh, so this was two thousand. Funny that there was that. Yeah, in two. This was two thousand seven. In two thousand six, his album Retaliation went platinum and debuted at number four on like the Billboard charts which was the highest rank of any comedy album in 28 years. So he was just like a mega star. He was like an arena touring comic, but he also was not beloved in like the, any sort of the cool comedy scene because he is comedy was very broy. It was like sort of the anti Mitch Hedberg where instead of like a bunch of like really well-crafted punchlines or stories, it was like, high energy like yelling things sort of was his like thing and it was just like wow i'm like it's crazy like all this you know kind of gross kind of sophomoric stuff set at an extremely loud volume you know kind of the 
things that would make frat boys like just fall over laughing. So it was this was peak Dane Cook. I guess I will say in fairness to Dane Cook, he doesn't seem like the worst person in the world in real life. That's in comparison right. to like like it's very funny looking back because it was like like he was on he was also like open to the fact that like yeah this is my persona on stage and like people don't like it like he, there was an episode of louis where it was like louis was the cool comic and he was like dan cook was like why are you treating me like crap all the time and all this kind of stuff yeah and that turns that out really like good no the thing is, it sucks that Louis C.K. is an awful monster Louis because, is actually <laughs> right, Louis C.K. Yeah. The twist, the twist at the end of the movie is that Louis C.K. was the monster all along. Uh, yeah, but it sucks because Louis has a really interesting show, um, which when episodes like that was it was just like super high tension because it was the cool comedy guy versus Dane Cook, and it turns out maybe we should have been slightly on Dane Cook's side. <laughs> <laughs> even though we don't yeah. like his comedy at all. But yeah, so that's setting the table for Dane Cook being, he's in it probably the second most of anybody. I think he's probably in it oh, mo- yeah. even more than William Hurt, maybe. Yeah, and probably and definitely more than Demi Moore. Um, right, even though it feels yeah. like Demi Moore's in like 80% too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he gets, so as, as we mentioned before, basically... Uh, you know, he's tried to follow along and eventually Mr. Brooks is like, yeah, he plans to like have Mr. Smith, Dan Cook's character, kill him. But then he like changes his mind and brutally murders him. Yeah. And it's a good like a good death scene. <laughs> it's like he so yeah, so he, he plans on he has Mr. Smith drive him out to a cemetery and they dig a grave and he's going to have Mr. Smith shoot him and he will fall into the hole. Um, and then he has decided to change his mind. Part of the reason being that his daughter is pregnant, apparently. Maybe. Yeah, he wants to be a granddad. Yeah. And then he uses the shovel. First off, he rigs really... he rigs Dane Cook's gun so that it's like oh, to he, not he to not work. So like Dane Cook is ready and he's going to shoot him. And the plan is that like Mr. Brooks, A, owns a cemetery. Uh, yeah, that's he's, right. <laughs> he owns a cemetery he's and like, he's like it's a good investment. Or yeah, whatever. people always need water and some, like graveyards or something is what is like. Yeah, and so the plan is to because originally it's set up that like oh this is where Mr. Brooks is gonna die, uh, and he like leaves like a death note or it seems like he's leaving a death note and he goes and there's an open grave they there's a pre dug grave because they're gonna have a, a burial tomorrow so it's like oh we dug a little bit deeper. And now you're just going to shoot me, Mr. Brooks, in the head. I'm going to fall. You cover up the dirt here, and then they're not going to notice and lower a coffin, and they'll never find the body. Uh, But as you were saying, yeah, it's a good plan. But as you were saying, the gun doesn't work, and then... And then Kevin Costner swings the shovel and destroys Dane Cook's throat. Just like slash right across. Yeah. And, And he falls. And you know what? Actually... Dane Cook, I also think, does a good job in this movie. Okay, here, here's he, <laughs> this is a point I was going to make. I think there's an argument to make that Dane Cook gives the second best performance in this movie behind William Hurt. Quite possibly. I mean, he's like so hateable, like, right? On purpose, because like, he like, leans into like almost the Dane Cook persona. Like again, it's kind of like him being aware of the Dane Cook persona. 
Because this guy's just yeah. like a he's a like peeper who like wants to get these sexual thrills of being you know watching people die, but also he's kind of a little weak stomached for it. Like when he actually sees when they actually they do actually get to a murder, they murder Demi Moore's ex who's suing him and the lawyer. But Dan Cook like literally like pisses down his leg as it's happening. Yeah, Dan Cook in this he's a creep and he's insecure and he's over enthused. Like sometimes he's just like, you know, like his stand up persona and just like kind of shaking and like coming out of it. And other times he's like got that dejected bro anger when like Kevin Costner like stands him up for something or he's like you have to come back tomorrow and he's like. <laughs> Like, how could you do this to me? Like, I can't wait another night. Just the impatience and impotence in him where I think it's actually a good Dan Cook performance, though it is still also fun to see Dan Cook get murdered. Well, and and I think part of the reason that it's fun to see him get murdered is because of the character. (laughs) Like, because the character is just so, like, awful and, like, like, sniveling and, like, gross and and you know just like so he's like just so grating in a way in a a way that it's like supposed to be that way like it's a good performance like he pulls that off and then in the end when he kills him it's just like excellent like that that was like a satisfying (laughs) it was satisfying yeah it (laughs) it is one of those things where you you like the dane cook character least in a movie where there are two cold blood serial killers, a serial killer accomplice and like a blooming serial killer. We have at (laughs) least like four murder people. And like, we dislike Dane cook the most because he's like, just like over, like a over caffeinated, annoying, uh, creep. Yeah. And, and yeah, he leans into it and he, he takes the, the, his final lumps and, he is the one who is deposited beneath the um, coffin that will be coming the next day. So. Yeah. And, and also, but I would also, and also because he like pissed in the like room when he was getting it, then they like track his DNA. So you see on the newspaper, it's like, we're looking for the thumbprint killer. And like, we finally found a DNA evidence and it's Dane Cook's picture. So it's like, Oh, Mr. Brooks is off scot free now. Yeah, so he does have like utility to the story in yes. that way. Like you know, he he, uh, he allows him to get away again as the thumbprint killer. So right, um, he's he's one he's honestly, one of the characters where his scenes all make sense. That it's just like you're not spending too much time with him, or like why are we detouring to him? He's very like locked in the plot in a way that sometimes all the other characters are not like. When he's yeah. there, he's pushing things forward in a way that makes sense. Exactly. So, yeah, he, he I feel like, you know, if they had carved out the Demi Moore storyline. Yeah. And made and spent more time on the, the daughter thing, which is really interesting. It probably would have been like, you know, a really good movie as or, or maybe, you know, if, if they had done that right. But um, that's like you know, where all that potential is. Right. Yeah. But I still really like it. It's still no, you like still, yeah, again, again, you're, you're on this because you really <laughs> actually like the movie and like legitimately exactly. like it. It's yeah. not some like, you don't like it ironically or like what it could have, you like what it, you imagine what it could have been in that it, you're like, this could have been like amazing. And like, instead it's like, 
pretty good to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, yeah, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of meat on this movie's bones and sometimes it picks at it and sometimes it gets distracted and wanders off and pees in the flowers. Yes. But well, thanks. I think I think you've stated a strong case on why everyone is wrong about Mr. Brooks. Is there anything you'd like to say or plugs or anything of that sort before we uh, sign off here? Um, I don't think so. I'll pl- if I could plug one movie. Yes, plug a movie. That, that received like a, a similarly mixed reviews and I think was from around the same time. Mm-hmm. But I think is like an actually incredible movie was Vacancy. Vacancy. With, yeah, it's this like horror thriller movie with uh, Luke Wilson. <laughs> it was also 2007, I think, or 2006. So makes sense. Let me see. Vacancy. Yeah, I don't even. Vacancy is not even on my. I don't even remember that. Like, I, I remember Mr. Yeah. Brooks, like, being a thing and yeah. not watching it until recently, but I do not remember Vacancy. But also, I'm not yeah, a huge fan. This came out like two, two months before Mr. Brooks. And. I totally overlooked it at the time. So I feel like maybe it's a movie that is similarly overlooked uh, as Mr. Brooks is something that's worth watching, but yeah, it's just like thriller slasher starring Kate Beckinsale and Luke Wilson. And I, it's streaming somewhere right now, but I highly recommend watching it. We, the other night we were like, Oh, we just feel like watching like a dumb horror movie Mm -hmm. and turned out to super enjoy it with like zero expectations. So if you're revisiting movies from the spring summer of 2007 <laughs> that have been as we all are to talk, yeah, yeah <laughs> you should watch double feature Mr. Brooks and vacancy. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for taking the time to come on the pod and share your yeah, thoughts. For and, me on. This uh, fun. yeah, maybe, maybe if you think of another one, it seems you have met you, you seem to be a well of things in this, uh, in this category. So feel free to I like a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> Quote unquote, quote air quotes, quote, bad unquote, stuff. Bad. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I mean, uh, well, thanks again. Thanks for listening. If you are listening, well, you have to be if you're hearing this. And remember, even if everyone mocks it, love the stuff you love. <laughs>